We're talking about rethinking God. And this morning, by the way, this is a really good crowd for Memorial Day weekend. And so I'm really excited that you're here. I would encourage you to get out a pencil and piece of paper and jot some notes down because this is going to be a little on the heavier side for a holiday weekend. But I want you to hang with me because I think the truth is so important because we as God's people, we have got to be able to defend our faith. Amen? And so I kind of want to give you some, some things just to kind of put in your toolbox. When we talk about the existence of God, He can neither be proven nor disproven. Now, don't misunderstand me. Every day, God could manifest himself at one moment every day if that was what he wanted to do. But God does not want to be a God who you fear. God does not want to be a God who coerces you to faith. The Bible tells us His view of it, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, it says that we've got to accept by faith the fact that God does exist. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and must believe that he earnestly or that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Please understand, God is omnipotent, he has all power, he has all knowledge, he has all authority. He could present himself to the world, he doesn't need satellite to do it. He could present himself to the world if that's what he wanted to do. But he does not want you to believe him because he pushes you into a corner. That is your only option. He wants you to believe in him as a loving response of faith for all that he has done for you. And isn't that a great picture of a great God? If God so desired, he could do that, but he doesn't. He wants us to follow him based on faith. That does not mean, however, that there are no evidences for God's existence. Matter of fact, I would encourage you today to follow the evidence. Because an atheist cannot disprove God... He starts with a certain, or she starts with a certain presupposition, and we start with a presupposition that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that the Holy Scriptures represent the living Word of God, and that God in heaven is the creator of all. As a matter of fact, that kind of reflects what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 19. This is some of the most eloquent Scripture in all of the Bible, and it says this. And it's clearer in, the, in other translations, but it's prettier in the King James. But it says this, And the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens shout out the glory of God. The heavens account for the glory of God. The heavens recount the glory of God. The heavens proclaim the reputation of God. All of those phrases are encapsulated in that word glory. That the heavens declare the glory of God. Was it yesterday a glorious day? Now you don't remember that 12 below day in February. Yesterday was a glorious day, man. I'm telling you. And so the heavens, basically what the psalm is saying is the reputation of God is on display every time you look at a sunrise or a sunset. Every time you hold that newborn child 
or that grandbaby in your arms. The reputation of God is at stake when you stand at a lake and you can't see the other side like we do with our Great Lakes or you stand at the Atlantic or Pacific or as I've had the privilege of standing at the Sea of Bengala, you just look across and it's just vastness and greatness. And the Bible says there in verse 2, day after day, they, the glory of God, pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. You want to understand God? You want to understand knowledge? Look to his creation. They have no speech, his glory, his glorious works, his creation. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them yet. I love that. Yet, their voice, their voice goes out into all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Man, that is just like great stuff. Because it tells us that there, when there are times that you may doubt God, man, you just look at his creation. And when there's times that you wonder if God really cares, he states his very reputation. And you can see it in the acts of creation. It's an incredible four verses that have great theological truths. But you would expect the Bible to say there is a God, wouldn't you? I mean, you would expect the Bible to say, believe in him, and and he is the creator, and I certainly do, and I certainly believe it, that he is the sovereign, creating, sustaining, and all-loving God. But yet, I think there are other arguments for believing in the existence of God. I'm not diminishing Scripture. I'm just saying, if you set Scripture apart... And you just looked at verses 3 and 4. They have no speech, they have no words, and, and no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out. You could be able from the knowledge gleaned at studying God's creation in verse 2. And its glory that goes forth in verse 3 to the ends of the earth in verse 4. You would be able to understand some things about God. Now when I use the word argument, I'm not talking about how you and your spouse fuss. I'm not talking about how you and your kids argue. An argument, basically, if you want to look up the definition, it, be, it can mean those things, but it also means a series of reasoned events. It's a series of reasoned and logical thinking. If you had a lawyer and your, arg- and your lawyer stands up and speaks to the jury in legal terms, it is, is oh, or his or hers, it is their opening argument. And so are there some arguments? Are there some reasonable thoughts? Is there some reason thinking for the existence of God? I think so. Let me just throw a few out there for you. I think there's the moral argument of God. Every culture throughout history has had some form of law, some standard of right. And the moral argument goes like this. If God does not exist, objective moral values and objective moral duties do not exist. Objective moral values and duties do exist. And you say, well, yeah, how do I know they exist? How many parents do we have in the house? Just raise your hand. Great. Put your hands down. How many of you as, as a parent has looked at your child and went, no, no, don't do that. Can I see your hands? Well, you have tried to instill an objective moral into your son or your daughter that there's right and no 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 you're not doing right and if there is no moral no 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 then 
and the atheist is just kind of left blank here. Let's just be honest because they're, they're, I mean, they just would say we're part of the evolutionary chain and, and you know, you're just animal, act on your humanist or your animalistic instincts and all of that. But objective moral values and duties do exist. That's why we have courts of law. That's why you as a parent say, that a boy, that a girl, great job. Oh, you do so good. Or no, 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 let's don't do that. Or that's why sometimes you spouses look at your, it's mainly wives looking at husbands going, no, 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 don't do that. Objective moral values and do, ex- do exist. So somewhere there has to be a moral giver if morality exists. And you all want morality to exist. Does anybody want anybody to break into your home and take everything you have while you're at church today? Can I see your hand? No. Matter of fact, if somebody broke in your home and took everything you had, I'm telling you, you would call 911, you would get the police out there, and you would say, go get them. If you got a gun, shoot them. At the very least, tase them. I mean, do something to them. You know? Why? Because you believe in moral truth. Then the police officer goes out and under the authority of a higher government, county, state, or federal, he or she acts on the county, state, or federal's behalf to maintain the moral law in culture. Every culture has had certain laws against killing and stealing and so on. And how can there be moral laws without a moral lawgiver? It's the moral argument. The second argument I want to throw out is the cosmological argument. Talked a little bit about this last week. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. Remember the classical atheist says that the universe just exists. It just always is. But science proves that every effect has a cause. Every effect has a cause. And so the universe began to exist, and there are scientific... I mean, that's not even debatable anymore. The universe had a beginning point, and it continues to expand. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Well, who is the great cause giver? You have a couple of options. You can believe in just random chance, or you can believe in a God who lovingly created everything that there is and whose glory is declared day after day, night after night, and without words and without sound, without a voice, yet his glory is heard to the ends of the earth. Because he created. And then I want to just throw one more out to you. That is the fine-tuning argument. By the way, you can Google all of these. These are not like hidden in theology books. The fine-tuning argument. The fine-tuning argument has shown that intelligent life couldn't exist in our universe apart from extremely precise sets of, of conditions that are so unlikely to have occurred by chance. Therefore, one can conclude that the universe was designed for life. It's this kind of grand designer idea. Scientists has determined, this is not Trimble, I'm not smart enough to figure this out. Science has determined that it takes at the very core, the bottom essence, 122 non-negotiable Theories, laws, everything from atoms to subatomic particles, speed of light, gravitational contacts, 
plants constant plus mass energy, mass electrons, protons, and neutrons, the mass of up and down strange quarks, gravitational coupling constant, the cosmological constant, the Hubble constant. I could go on and on and list you all 122 of them. They say that if one of those varied by a minuscule amount, if one of those varied by a minuscule amount, then life as we know it would not exist. There would be no sun, there would be no moons, there would be no planets, there would be no stars, there would be nothing. It would not exist if one of the 122 laws varied by a very minor, minor degree. Remember the days when you didn't have digital tuning on your car radio and you had to move that dial, and if you moved it ever so slightly, you got good reception. And if you hit a speed bump and it jarred over, you lost your reception. Remember those glory days when our children knew what AM radio was. Listen, the universe is more finely tuned than that. Let me just throw you a couple of uh, things out there. Consider gravitational constant. Constant. This is one of the theories that keeps life on our planet sustainable. If it varied by one part in 10 to the 60th power, 10 to the 60th power, there's no life at all. Now that's 10 with 60 zeros after it. If you take all of the seconds since time be began, that's 10 to the 20th power. This is 10 to the 60th power. If the variation was by that minuscule, life would not exist. The universe would not would have thinned out. It would have collapsed upon itself, and there would be no stars, no planets, no life, no chemistry, no nothing. Or you can consider the expansion rate of the universe. This is driven by the cosmological constant. And it changed by one part in 10 to the 120th power. It's, it's even more minuscule than what I just mentioned. It's 10, one part in 10 to the 120th power. It is so infinitesimal. I just bottomed down on that word. It's a real small number. I mean, it is teeny-weeny, little tiny. I was going to use a big scientific word there, but teeny-weeny just kind of covers it. It is just so thin that if the expansion rate of the universe varied by one part of 10 to the 120th degree or, or part, the universe would have expanded too rapidly or too slowly. In either case, science has proven that the world as we know it and life as we enjoy it would not exist. Or if the mass and energy of the universe were not evenly distributed, all right, were not evenly distributed into the precision. Now, you got to get this. This is one part to 10 to the 10th to the 120th power. That should actually be 123rd. It was my typo. But 10 to the 10th to the 123rd power. You talk about a number with a boatload of zeros after it. That's not a large number. That is that teeny-weeny, even smaller number. Now, somewhere you have got to say, where does the evidence take me? 
Do I believe that it all happened by chance that, boom, there was this big event called the Big Bang and chaos happened and order on such a precise, finely tuned, precision scale occurred to such a degree that I could live on planet Earth? Because I'm telling you, if, it, if the mass and energy of the early universe was off by 10 to the 10th to the 123rd power, you would not be sitting here today. There would be nothing here today. So what does the evidence say? Could it be that Psalm 19 is absolutely correct? Where it talks about how the heavens declare the glory of God. And the skies proclaim the work of his hands. And day after day they pour forth knowledge. And night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. And to the ends of the world. Man. Lou Giglio has got a video it's called indescribable and he did a great job of trying to explain the vastness of god uh, on the the argument i kind of went the other way let's let's go the other way you know the bible says the glory of god declares is seen his reputation is banked on what he's created that's there in the heavens and so we kind of want to look at the heavens but if you're going to look at the heavens it is so big and it's so vast you don't measure it by miles you don't measure it in yardsticks you don't measure it in kilometers you measure it in this thing called a light year now if you don't know what a light year is follow along because this is how you get the total of a light year a light year is a light travels at 186,000 miles per second times 60 seconds times 60 minutes in one hour times 24 hours in one day times 365 days in one year that means that light travels 5.88 plus trillion miles a year that's a lot of frequent flyer miles 5.88 trillion the universe that god created is so vast it is so huge that it has to be measured by a whole nother standard 5 Point eight eight trillion miles is one light year. Got it? 5.88 trillion miles, one light year. The expanse of heaven is so huge that that's how you have to measure heaven. So let's just kind of take a little journey through, through the, the Milky Way. We live in the Milky Way galaxy, all right? That's it right there. The Milky Way galaxy, it is over 100,000 light years away. Do the math. 5.88 trillion miles is one light year. It is over 100,000 light years across. It is huge. If you counted all the stars in the Milky Way galaxy at a rate of one per second, it would take you 2,500 years just to count all the stars in our galaxy. Who created them all? Matter of fact, not only does the Bible say that God created them, but the Bible says he also knows them by name. That's just one galaxy. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of galaxies. And the Bible says that the God who created them knows them by name. Listen, that ought to encourage us because there's some days, and you might as well amen here because you guys know I'm right. I just... We'll, we'll say what you think sometimes. But there are days where you feel like God's forgotten you. 
that you're just in such a mess that where is God in all of this? And does God even care? And does God even know my name? Listen, if God knows the names of the stars that, that fill our Milky Way galaxy, you are so incredibly much more important to him than the sun and the moon and the stars. Yes, he knows you by name. And he knows what you're going through. And he feels and he hurts, and he joys when you feel and hurt and joy. And he, well, let, let's travel on because I could talk about all of these a long time. I had one nuclear physics class in college. That makes me an expert in nothing, all right? So let's talk about the sun. Look at the sun. Man, the sun is 10,000, it's 93 million miles away from Earth. The average temperature is 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. The sun erupts and those solar flares go out. Light travels from the sun to the Earth and the heat from the sun to the Earth takes eight minutes to go 93 million miles. The Earth's almost circular orbit around the sun is exactly the right spot to sustain life. Science tells us that if we were a couple of miles as much as five miles closer in our circular orbit, we would burn up. If we were as much as five miles or as little as five miles further away from the sun in our circular orbit or slightly elliptical orbit, then we would freeze. And I'm just telling you, there is exactness to God's creation. And aren't you glad of that? Some of you, it's kind of like the three little bears, you know. Some of you in here, the porridge is too hot, and some of you in here, it's too cold. For some of us, it's just right. But I guarantee you, when you walk out of here and you walk to the parking lot to get in your car to head home this afternoon, you're going to go, man, that sun feels just right. Well, I wonder who created that sun 93 miles away. 93 million miles away and designed it in such a way that the light and the heat gets from there to here in eight, sec- or eight minutes. The heavens declare the glory of God. Well, let's travel a little further away from Earth. Let's go 440 light years to a, to a cluster of stars commonly known as Pleiades. Pleiades. It's seven stars in this cluster that are supposed to be visible to the naked eye. Job in chapter 38 and verse 31, God identified this cluster to Job and basically asked Job, do you have the power to cluster those stars together? And it was a rhetorical question because God knew the answer to that question. And the answer to that question is, no, Job doesn't have the power. So the rhetorical question is really this. Who has the power other than God to draw and hold those stars together? 440 light years away. Well, let's go another uh, Let's go to the Helix Nebula. It's 650 light years away. And, and it is just... It, it, it's just like, I, I put it up, it's just a cool picture. I love it, all right? It's just, but inside this is gases of unknown origin. Astronomers look at you and go, I don't know what it is. Scientists go, we don't have a clue what it is, but God knows what it is. He created it. 
Even when science can't explain it, God can. Let's go another 80, 800 light years away from Earth to visit the Velan Pulsar. And this thing is really cool because it's like this big tornado with outer winds and an inner current. And, these solar, and this is what Harvard University says on their website. Harvard University says this. The solar jets in it indicate, and I quote, they indicate that mighty ordering forces, mighty ordering forces in this chaos called the Vela Pulsar, they said, our mighty ordering forces must be at work amidst the chaos of the aftermath of a supernova, supernova explosion. The implied forces have the power to, and I quote again, to harness the energy of thousands of suns and transform the energy into a tornado of high energy particles. So who does this? Who does this mighty ordering of forces on such a grand scale that it harnesses the power of ten thousands and ten thousands of suns? Well, it's not you and it's not me. I don't think random chance could pull it off. The heavens declare the glory of God. Travel out another 1,008 light years away. And you go to the Hourglass Nebula, which is just another cool planetary um, nebula. And the hourglass shape is produced by faster stellar solar winds within a, a slowly expanding cloud that's denser near the equator than it is the pool, the poles, the on the, on the edges, and so you get this beautiful, majestic hourglass nebula 108,000 light years away from us declaring the glory, the majesty, the magnificence of God our creator. You go 28 million light years away, and uh, you come to the Sombrero Galaxy. I threw this in for those of you who are going to eat Mexican food today. It spans 50 thousand light years across it can be seen with a small telescope in the con- in the direction of the constellation of virgo and it's just absolutely incredible and from from 20 million light years away 50,000 light years across this sombrero galaxy declares the glory the majesty without words without voice without sound it is just there saying think about it Glory to God. Think about it. Praise his name. Think about it. The God who created all of that cares so much for you. Well, skip another 7 million more light years away from Earth past that, and you come to a whirlpool galaxy. And the disk of the whirlpool is sometimes is some 40,000 light years across and approximately 30 million light years away from Earth. And to find it, you look at the Big Dipper and you just kind of look north of the Big Dipper and, and you see this whirlpool galaxy there declaring the power, the glory, the strength, the majesty of God. So when the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm 19 wasn't joking. Matter of fact, I want to show you one more picture, and it's a little pixelated, and I want to explain why. In 1977, NASA launched the Voyager space probe on a one-way mission to take pictures of the solar system 13 years Later, on Valentine's Day in 1990, scientists sent a message to Voyager that basically said, turn around and take a picture of planet Earth. All right? 
At this point, Voyager is 3.7 billion miles away from Earth. Traveling at a rate of 40,000 miles per hour, it turns and takes a series of 60 pictures in panoramic fashion because the view is so enormous and it's too enormous to get into one shot. It took those 60 images with 640 pixels in each image. It took five and a half hours for each pixel to make it back to Earth. It took months for this thing to get made and, and formulated and all put together. And it became a very famous picture. It's called the pale blue dot. You can Google it and you see it. And in the pans, in the pink and green bands are the reflection of the sun. All four years suspended on one of the beams of sunlight in that tiny speck of space. You see planet Earth. And that's where you and I live. Makes you feel a little small, doesn't it? In the vastness of space where we're talking about hundreds or thousands of light years, that's where you live, right there. Lou Giglio calls it your subdivision. That's where you're at. Now, tell me how all of this happens by chance. Science still has no answer. They have a theory. They have understanding. They understand that it takes 102 or 122 basic components to make life exist at any level. And then if you vary one of those components by just the finest of tuning, it throws the whole thing off. But yet there we are. I can't exactly see flat rock on that picture from there, but there we are. All 7 billion plus of us now living on the earth that God so desperately loves that John 3.16 said he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so church, my challenge to you today is to praise him. Not only for his vastness, vast power and his majesty and glory, for what we can see and what we can understand, but even for what we cannot see and what we cannot understand. His glory goes forth day after day. It proclaims his knowledge. It proclaims his wisdom. It proclaims his majesty with no voice, no sound, no, uh, no noise. But yet his glory is made known into all parts of the earth. And for that, church, we are to praise him because God in heaven rules and reign as the only, as the true, as the one sovereign Lord, Savior of this universe. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Our heavenly father, we give you glory and praise and honor. We praise you because from you all blessings flow. The blessing of life and sunshine, the blessing of warmth, the blessing of joy, the blessing of, of suns and moons and stars and planetary motions. Father, I thank you that you are a God of creation, but you are also a God of love and that you love us enough that you gave Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. And yes, we, your people, we, your church, we will praise you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.